Please take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Daniel has been in the lion's den since March 12. It's high time we come back to the story. Daniel 6 and verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. The king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So far the reading of God's holy, inspired and inerrant word. I once read an article about the emergency task force in the city of Toronto. It's an elite police unit trained to deal specifically with the most difficult high-risk situations. Whenever a suspect has a weapon, is barricaded, or is holding someone hostage, the emergency task force is called in. Over the years, they have handled an amazing variety of life and death situations. The article stated that over a period of 20 years, while handling more than 4,000 calls, the ETF has killed only two people, and when the article was written, not one of their officers had been killed or even seriously injured. What's the reason for their excellent record? Thousands of hours of disciplined training. Each of the ETF officers must pass rigid physical examinations. 
They have to run 3.2 kilometers in less than 13 minutes, do 30 push-ups in 30 seconds, 60 sit-ups in 60 seconds, and they have to be extremely skilled in handling weapons. An officer who gets less than 48 out of 50 bullseyes in semi-annual tests is dropped. ETF officers must keep in top physical shape by exercising two hours a day at the unit's gym. It is a position that involves discipline, much training, and hard work. In order to resolve potentially deadly situations, each officer has to be fully equipped. Without the rigorous discipline training, they would never be able to face the dangers of their occupation. They have to deal with murderers, gangsters, bikers, terrorists, and other criminals. Their work is fraught with danger. Congregation, we need to remember that the Christian life is also fraught with danger. You have an enemy who seeks to destroy your soul. An adversary who would lead you astray, who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Therefore, Christians need to be in shape spiritually. We're involved in spiritual warfare. Unless we do our regular spiritual exercises, we will not be equipped to face the surprise attacks and snares of the enemy. Unless we are daily involved in disciplined spiritual preparation and training, we may find ourselves in great danger. Worse than that, we may not survive. The reason for the excellent record of the emergency task force is thousands of hours of disciplined training. So it also is in the Christian life. Why was Daniel able to live a life of uncompromising commitment to the Lord? You say, well, because God preserved him. Yes, he did, certainly. But there is more to it than that. Daniel lived a life of uncompromising commitment to the Lord because of his daily disciplined workouts. Since his youth, it was his custom to pray three times a day, giving thanks and making supplication before his God. Each day again, he spent time preparing himself. He was diligent. He was serious about living the Christian life. And it certainly paid off. When the tests came, he was able to stand. In the sixth chapter of Daniel, one of the most difficult tests of his life came upon him. We saw in our last message that by the decree of King Darius, it was forbidden to petition any god or man for 30 days except to the king himself. Darius was to be regarded above all gods, the supreme divine Darius. The royal decree was drafted by 120 satraps and two governors as a means by which they might trap Daniel. Anyone who disobeyed the decree would be cast into the den of lions. Suddenly, Daniel faced a terrible dilemma. If he disobeyed the king's command, he would be meat for the lions. If he obeyed the king's command, he would lose his testimony and his communion, his fellowship, with God. What do you do in a situation like that? Lose your life or your testimony. 
By the power of the Spirit of God, Daniel decided that his testimony and his relationship with the Lord were more important than his life. The moment he heard that the decree was signed, he went out home. And with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down and prayed. How could he remain so steadfast and resolute in faith? Where did he find such strength to resist the wiles of the devil? Because Daniel had developed a lifelong habit of disciplined training, a structured devotional life through which he was empowered to face the enemy. Congregation, young people, children, I want to encourage you to get into the habit of having regular, structured times to cultivate your spiritual life. If you are to stand for righteousness against the evils of, our, of this age, you need to preserve and increase your strength through a consistent devotional life. Why is it that some Christians have time to watch hockey but have little time for prayer and Bible reading? Why is it that many have time for entertainment, but have so little time for private worship or family worship? Why do some of us have time to read blogs and magazines, but seem to have little time to read, meditate, and memorize Scripture? Why do some of us have time for hobbies, time to improve and expand our businesses, but we have little time alone with God or little time at church Bible studies? Why is it that some Christians are in church on Sunday morning but don't seem to have time for the second service? I suspect that many, and I include myself, I suspect that many, many of us fail in times of trial and testing, not because God is unfaithful, but because we have become slack, undisciplined, and spiritually flabby. We have not established and maintained God-centered priorities. If we lived next door to Daniel, perhaps some of us would have called him a fanatic because of his disciplined spiritual life. But brothers and sisters, that was the rudder that kept him sailing on a straight course in the midst of paganism. So Daniel was arrested and brought before the king. And although the king wanted to spare him, he had signed the inalterable decree of the Medes and Persians. He was forced to issue the command for Daniel to be cast into the den of lions. The stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. There was no escape. Rescue was impossible. We come then to verses 18 through 28 of Daniel 6. Last time we saw that Daniel was a distinguished governor, a despised governor, and a determined governor. Now we want to conclude this chapter by considering a miraculous deliverance a miserable defeat, and a momentous decree. A miraculous deliverance. Having sealed the stone in the mouth of the den with his own ring, the king returned to his palace for the night. But Darius was not in a good mood. 
He had been manipulated by his satraps and governors, and now his most trusted advisor was in the company of ravenous lions. No, Darius was not pleased whatsoever. Verse 18 says, he spent the night without food, entertainment, or sleep. His appetite was gone, his desire for music was gone, and he suffered a restless night pacing the floors. His conduct reminds us, brothers and sisters, that it is better to be a child of God in a lion's den than to be an unsaved sinner in a king's palace. Darius was stressed. His conscience was troubling him, and he spent the night deeply disturbed by the events of that day. At the crack of dawn, he departed from the palace and hurried back to the lion's den. With an anguished, lamenting voice, he cried out, verse 20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Congregation, do you suppose Darius really expected an answer from the den? Some have thought, based on verse 16, if you look back there for a moment, some have thought that he did. The New King James translates verse 16, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. That rendering makes it sound as though the king was confident that Daniel would be delivered. But verse 16 can also be translated as a wish, a desire, or a prayer. May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. May your God rescue you. The fact that the king could not eat or sleep, and that he cried out with a lamenting, anguished voice, probably indicates that he expected the den to have become a tomb. Surely the satraps and governors expected nothing more than a few scattered bones, the remains of their enemy. After all, the lion's den was there for a purpose, right? It wasn't a place for tourists to come and observe the wildlife like the African lion safari. No, the lion's den was a place of execution, a place of death. You didn't come out of it alive. It just didn't happen. That was unheard of. Hungry lions are savage, fierce killers. And yet when the king cried out in anguish, has your God been able to deliver you? To his amazement, an answer was heard from a familiar voice. O king, live forever. The man who was thought to be dead replied by wishing the king life. O king, live forever. Look at verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter, no doubt alluding to this account, speaks of those who by faith stopped the mouths of lions. By faith stopped the mouths of lions. In answer to Daniel's prayers, the angel of God delivered him. His innocence was proven by divine intervention. The mouths of the lions were stopped. While the king had been awake all night, anxious and distressed, 
Daniel was enjoying the company of the angel of God. As the angel accompanied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. While Darius was anxious and unsettled the whole night, Daniel was safe and at rest. He couldn't have found a safer place in all Babylon as he spent the night in the lion's den in the presence of the angel of God. As one Puritan commentator said, the angel's presence made even the lion's den, his stronghold, his palace, his paradise. He had never had a better night in his life. The angel's presence made even the lion's den, his stronghold, his palace, his paradise. He had never had a better night in his life. Those who conspired against Daniel wanted to destroy him. But instead, he received what may have been one of his most precious nights in all his many years in Babylon. For you see, congregation, when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was given what? A foretaste of the new creation that has been won for us at the cross and will be revealed at the return of Jesus. His deliverance in the lion's den was a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth. Why do I say that? Jesus Christ came to earth not only to deliver sinners through the blood of the cross, but also to restore all of creation so that peace and harmony will be experienced once again. When Jesus returns and sin is put away, all creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. In the new creation, there will be no more hostility. The prophet Isaiah described it so beautifully in the 11th chapter of his prophecy. Listen to these words. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. When sin entered the world, all of creation was disfigured. Wolves began to eat lambs. Leopards began to eat goats. Lions began to eat calves. The perfect harmony that Adam enjoyed between man and beast was broken by sin. But when the universe is gloriously transformed and renewed at the return of Christ, there will once again be that perfect harmony and unity. Daniel in the lion's den was thus given a glimpse into the age to come. God gave him a preview of the restored creation in which the powers of darkness and sin are broken. In that lion's den, God enabled him to experience a preview of the completed work of Jesus Christ. It is only through the cross of Christ that sin, the effects of sin, and the powers of darkness are destroyed. In the lion's den, Daniel was given to see something of the power of the cross, the victory of Calvary. Amazing. Amazing. Therefore, the lion's den was the most blessed place for Daniel to be on that night in Babylon. Next to him were lions that were harmless as kittens. 
rendered tame and powerless by the angel of God. What was intended to destroy Daniel became a delight for him. The Lord gave him a glimpse into the eternal kingdom of Christ where the works of darkness are defeated. Through the victory of Jesus, the lion shall lie with the lamb. Imagine, congregation, the joys of eternity. No more hostility. No more fear. No more enmity. The curse forever lifted. That is the future for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your future if you have put your faith in Him. And so let's go to verse 23. Verse 23. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called by Nebuchadnezzar to come out of the burning, fiery furnace. All the king's leading men gathered together and saw that the hair of their head was not singed and the smell of fire was not even on them. God had kept them perfectly safe. So it was also for Daniel. They examined him. They couldn't find so much as a scratch. No injury, no wound was found on him. Congregation, Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It then goes on to say, he delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? God's children cannot lose so much as a hair or a fingernail without the will of God. The time of Daniel's death had not yet come. Therefore, the Lord kept him in a remarkable way so that through his deliverance, the name of Yahweh would be magnified in Babylon. We move then from a miraculous deliverance to a miserable defeat. A miserable defeat. When Darius saw that Daniel was not harmed and that no injury was found on him, he issued the command to have Daniel's accusers arrested. The men who had deviously manipulated the king were called to stand before him. Now, just put yourself in the position of these men for a moment. Try to put yourself in their shoes. On the previous night, their enemy, Daniel, had been thrown into the lion's den. They thought that he was gone for good. They were rid of him. Food for the lions. Good riddance. They must have returned to their homes smiling because of the success of their plan. They went to sleep with a feeling of satisfaction. However, early the next morning, as they were sipping their Babylonian Starbucks, there was a knock at the door. 
To their surprise, it was the soldiers of the king coming to escort them into the king's presence. And not only were they required to come, but also their wives and children. What did the king want? Why were they being escorted into his presence? Why were they under heavy guard? The triumphant spirit of the previous night must have vanished in a moment when they arrived at the lion's den. And there stood who? Daniel, without a scratch on his body. What a shock to see him standing next to the king as a man risen from the dead. But that wasn't the worst shock. To their horror, the soldiers led them to the mouth of the lion's den. Men, women, children, perhaps even babies, were lined up at the mouth of the den. And the king gave the command for them to be cast in. These men may have thought that with the death of Daniel, the top governor, they would be promoted in order to fill his place. Perhaps they would receive a higher position on the political ladder. What a nightmare it must have been for them, their wives, and their children, when instead of receiving a promotion, they were given the sentence of death. Were they dreaming? Verse 24 describes a most horrific scene. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 24. The king gave the command. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. What a contrast, brothers and sisters, between Daniel and his accusers. The moment these families were thrown into the den, they were torn limb from limb. It must have been a terrible sound of screams as they were ripped to pieces by the hungry lions, torn flesh, crunching bones, cries of agony. Their gods were not able to deliver them. All the gods of Babylon were silent. No angel was sent to rescue them. They were on their own against the ferocious beasts. There was no God to save, no God to comfort, help, or deliver. Proverbs 11 verse 8 says, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The same lion's den that was a place of safety for Daniel. A place in which he tasted the powers of the age to come. A place in which the forces of evil were restrained. That same den became an appalling scene of death, destruction, and terror. For Daniel, the lion's den gave him a glimpse into heaven and eternity. For the conspirators and their families, the same lion's den became a foretaste of what? Hell. Terror, fear, pain, and chaos. And dear friends, for us, it is a most solemn reminder that whoever opposes the work of God, whoever opposes the kingdom of God will someday face the judgment of God. If any of you reject the Lord, what will your future be?
These men thought that by getting rid of God's servant Daniel, their life would somehow improve. And that's the way sin always works, doesn't it? We foolishly think that we can get ahead by sinning. We think that somehow it will, it, sin will improve our life. The reason we sin is because we believe it'll profit us. It'll make our life better. But sin never profits in the long run. There's coming a day when each and every person will face not the judgment of Darius, but the judgment of God. The terror of the lion's den is a reminder of the terror that awaits all those who continue in their sin. The torn flesh and crunched bones provide only a mild picture as compared to the eternal and righteous wrath of God that will be poured out upon the unrepentant, Christ-rejecting sinners. The difference between Daniel and his accusers was the God they served. Daniel served the one true God and was willing to give his life rather than compromise his commitment. The conspirators served their small g gods of wood and stone, the works of men's hands, but ultimately they served themselves and the powers of darkness. Only the God of Daniel was able to deliver. Brothers and sisters, sometimes you hear people say, all religions are basically the same. Whether you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Mormon, it doesn't really matter. All religions contain some truth. All religions are profitable and they all lead to the same place. Really? Really? Was the God of Daniel no different than the gods of Babylon? Verse 24 says, before they ever came to the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces, crushed all their bones. Congregation of the final judgment, the crucial question will be, who will deliver you? Who will deliver you? In a final judgment, it will make all the difference in the world which God you have loved, trusted, and served. Only the God of Scripture can save. He alone can deliver, for He is the living God. I urge you not to turn to anything or anyone else. Commit your ways to the Lord. Live by His unchanging word. Call upon Him as your Savior and Deliverer. The same God who saved Daniel from the lions will save you from the powers of darkness as you call upon Him. In the concluding verses of this chapter, we see how even the king himself came to recognize the uniqueness of Yahweh. Darius, born and raised in paganism, instructed in false religions from his youth. Darius, who worshipped the works of men's hands for 62 years. This Darius was deeply convicted by the power of Israel's God. Although it's difficult to determine his ultimate spiritual condition, Darius did issue a decree honoring Daniel's God. Which brings us to point number three. Having witnessed a miraculous deliverance 
At a miserable defeat, Darius issued a momentous decree honoring Daniel's God. A historic decree. Look with me, please, to verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. In verse 9, back in verse 9 of this chapter, Darius signed the written decree that whoever petitioned any god or man for 30 days except himself would be cast to the lions. In verses 25 through 27, the same king wrote a decree that everyone in his domain must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Although perhaps this is not sufficient evidence of true conversion, nevertheless, the name of the Lord was honored throughout the empire. Why do I say that perhaps this is not sufficient evidence of true conversion? Because Darius does not confess him as the only God. Neither does he confess the Lord as his personal God. Rather, he is referred to as the God of Daniel. Not the God of Daniel and Darius. But whether Darius received the true faith or not, the name of Yahweh was honored and his power proclaimed throughout the empire. We will leave the spiritual condition of Darius to the judgment of God. He judges righteously, and he knew the heart of the king. But through the decree of Darius, every man in the kingdom was forced to consider the God of Israel. It became a subject of conversation throughout the land. You might say that it was once again on the front page of every newspaper. Daniel's God delivers. He is the living God. Tremble and fear before him. Congregation, even an evil plot against Daniel. The Lord was able to turn to his praise. Nothing can thwart his purposes. As Darius correctly said, his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Then consider this morning your response to this Lord. Do you acknowledge him as the living God? Are you humbled before his greatness? And are you confident that because of his dear son, Jesus Christ, he will deliver you on that final day when his kingdom will be fully manifested? Each and every one of us must come to confess, yes, he is the living God. He is my God. My deliverer, my savior, my God is a gracious and saving God. Children and young people, by the grace of God, you must also come to make that confession. 
And as parents, we are to instruct our sons and daughters in the Scriptures and to live the Christian life before them with a prayer that they will come to say, this is my Lord, my Savior. Praise God. I am His child. I am set free from the powers of darkness and I can look forward to the day when the lion shall lie with the lamb. Congregation, is that your confession this morning? Do you look forward to that day? Does the lion's den fill you with joy, anticipating that which awaits the people of God? The lion's den proclaims a message of joy and a message of judgment, a message of peace and a message of punishment. It reveals heaven and it reveals hell. The difference between the one and the other is the God that you trust, worship, love, and serve. That puts your faith in the living God. And you will be saved and give your life completely to His service. People of God, perhaps there have been times when, when you have thought to yourself, what can I do? I'm just one person. How can I have any impact whatsoever on the world in which I am living? I'm just one small, puny person. Have you ever thought that? Daniel must have often felt very alone in the pagan city of Babylon. But if you read the king's decree in verses 26 and 27, you could only say, what an amazing impact one man had on the ancient world. Can one man make a difference? Can one man be used to proclaim the glory of God? Can one man cause the message of God's supremacy to be known and spread throughout a nation? In the early 1900s, a chaplain of the United States Senate said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. Is that your conviction? Are you willing to stand up in this postmodern, politically correct, pluralistic society and say with genuine love, while I show dignity to all who are made in God's image, I cannot and I will not acknowledge the validity of other religions or the validity of other gods. The God of Scripture, He is the living God, the saving God, the only God. Young men, young women, are you willing to stand up in this crooked, perverse, confused society and say, I will follow Him? I will serve him, the God of Scripture. He is the living God, the saving God, the only God. Congregation, God used Daniel to proclaim his glory throughout the kingdom of Darius. 
how wonderfully he used one man. May he also use each one of you to proclaim the glory of his holy name today, the living God, the saving God, the only God, the one man who is infinitely greater than Daniel, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the one person who makes all the difference for this life and for eternity. One man, look to him. He's a gracious Savior. Let us pray. Lord our God, we come to you and thank you for a glimpse into that eternal kingdom that has been won at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do look forward to the day when the lion shall lie with the lamb. We look forward to the day when creation, the universe, will be destroyed. When the universe will be destroyed and renewed, restored, that we may live in harmony. Harmony with you. Harmony with each other, harmony with creation. We thank you for the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he not only rescued us from our sin, but he came to deliver us from the bondage of corruption. Lord, we pray that each and every one of us here will look to him, find our hope in him, and live our life for his glory and his honor. Thank you for the one man who makes all the difference, our Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing what he accomplished for us, may we be willing to serve with great zeal and integrity. Help us to be steadfast that we may abound in the work of the Lord. Receive our praises, Lord, and as we converse together, may we encourage each other to look to the one who has the power to deliver. Receive our praises in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.